Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. In the Old Testament history book after Ezra, before you get to the wisdom literature, is the book of Nehemiah. We started last week an introduction to this sermon series, um, looking at sort of the character of Nehemiah, some of the historical context things we see about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah had a burden. God gave and chose this layman to, to, to carry a burden for God's people. And this one man who was on fire for the Lord and desiring to serve the Lord with his gifts uh, uh, really changed the world um, and really uh, did uh, a tremendous work of ministry. God used him mightily uh, in, in preparing for Christ and preparing some of those things we looked at in biblical theology there for the coming of Christ. And so, Nehemiah chapter 1 tonight, we're going to read verses 4 through 11 in a sermon entitled, Characteristics of a Caring Christian. If that's not the most Baptist sermon title you've ever heard, I don't know what is, alliterated to a T. Characteristics of a Caring Christian. If you would, stand with me for the honor of reading God's Word uh, tonight. And it is an honor, isn't it? Um, let's read this together. Nehemiah chapter 1 again, verse 4 through 11. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses." Remember the word which you've commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh, Lord, I beseech you, May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. First Baptist Church of Greek Gables, we are thankful for the word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Father, as we consider ourselves very thankful for this tremendous word, Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, that we would be reminded that this is your word spoken to us your people. Father, would you help us understand? Lord, would you give us the heart of Nehemiah for our neighbors, for Christ, for this country, Lord, for those walls of salvation and those gates of doctrine that have been torn down in the church today. Lord, may it start with us. Would you help us, encourage us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In my opinion, uh, I think one of the worst sins that you can commit towards another person is to simply be indifferent to them. Uh, to not care. To not care about them one way or another. To be uncaring towards others. In my opinion, it's really inhumane. It's as if you were saying 
to me, you don't exist. I don't care about you and your problems. Just leave me out of it. Leave me alone. Church, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this world of ours has grown cold because of wickedness and sin. People retreat now into their own shell and they simply don't care what happens to one another as long as it doesn't happen to them. The attitude of our world is today is, is this question. Ask me if I care. Here's the problem. That attitude of the world has made its way into God's church. And as so many other attitudes of this world has entered into the church, this one specifically and particularly has come into his church. Today, all around the local churches in America are lost, hurting, dying, hell-bound people. All around us, people are in great affliction and great reproach and turmoil. And at the time where there seems to be a, uh, a people with, with more hunger and more neediness, at the time that, that people uh, may be more open to the gospel than at any other time, at the time when the fields are literally white unto harvest, the church has withdrawn into its shell. They've folded their arms, they've sat down, and they seem to be saying, I don't care. We're like the priest. We're like the Levite passing the dying man and ignoring his cries to get to our church. Jesus said that we should be like the good Samaritan who helped the dying man. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. He said, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Well, in, in Nehemiah 1... Nehemiah reveals the caring attitude that we are to have toward each other and toward lost souls. Nehemiah was the kind of believer who genuinely cared. And you know who those believers are. I'm sure you can think of people in your life who are ones that you know without a shout of a doubt really, really care for you. Though he was in a place of comfort, wealth, prestige, and security, he could not even enjoy those things because his own burden on his heart was for his brethren in Jerusalem. We said last week that Nehemiah was a lot like Moses, remember? And how he's described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, as choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Nehemiah really cared for others. We must never forget what we read tonight and how Jesus said the law is fulfilled in one statement, right? In Matthew 22, where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. Friends, Nehemiah's caring heart can be seen here in chapter 1 in 6 different ways. We're going to spend most of the time where the text spends on the sixth way because the first five ways are all found in verse five. In fact, the first six ways are all found in verse five, uh, but the sixth he goes on to expound a bit. These six things reveal just how far off base we as Christians can really be today in our lack of care. These six things reveal why our lives and our churches are often so dead and powerless. 
And in these six, six things, I believe, are the keys to revival. The keys to rebuilding the broken walls and burned gates of the church. So what are those six things? Number one, let's look at it together. Number one, Nehemiah heard these words. So it says right off the bat in verse four, Nehemiah heard these words. Once again, you'll see most of these things in verse four, but the word here in this text, in the Hebrew, it means to hear intelligently, to pay close attention to, to carefully consider, and then to obey. The problem with Christians today and the church today is, as we've said last month, our ears are dull of hearing. Our ears have grown immune to the word of God. We just get so used to it that we don't really hear. We have such an abundance of the word of God that we do not any longer listen intently. We don't play close attention when God speaks. James and says in James chapter 1 verse 19, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The context of James chapter 1, 19 is the word of God. Today in the church, it, unfortunately, we're the exact opposite. We're slow to hear the word of God. We're quick to doubt the word of God and quick towards wrath against the word of God. But, but when the word of God came to Nehemiah, what happened? He heard these words. He listened intently and carefully with a heart that was always on the ready to obey. Listening or hearing the word of God is foundational. It is basic. It is Christianity 101 to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has always throughout history required his people to hear him and heed him. The word is shama in the Hebrew. It's used in the great Shema and passage in, in, to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You probably know this very well. It says, hear, O Israel. That's the great command to Israel. Hear it. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The word is to be heard, it's to be taught, it's to be meditated upon, it's to be followed, it's to be obeyed. Caring Christians listen intently to the voice of God. When was the last time you heard God speak? Let me tell you, it, it wasn't that still small voice. The last time you heard and heeded what he says in the Bible, that's the last time you heard God speak. So let me ask you this question in light of that. Are you listening actively and intently to the word of God. The first characteristic is that Nehemiah heard these words. The second characteristic of a caring Christian we see in verse four here is that uh, as, a ne as an example of a caring Christian in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah sat down. That might not seem like a real characteristic of a caring Christian, but let's, let's do a little wordplay with what this word means in the Greek. The word sat in the Hebrew actually means to be married to. It means to be joined to. It carries the idea of a, of a person receiving news and being so affected by that news that they just have to sit down. Have you ever had something like that? The news was so heavy on you, your legs become weak and you have to sit down because they care so much. 
They became joined or married to the problem as if it were their own. This is how, by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ identifies with us in our sin. He took upon our sin in himself as if it were his own. And friends, this is how Jesus, therefore, expects Christians to identify with lost and hurting people. Romans chapter 15 and verse 1 and verse 3 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Friends, this is how Nehemiah identified with the brethren in Jerusalem who were in need. They were in great distress and reproach, and because they were, so was Nehemiah. He took the burden of his people upon himself. Remember, Brother Hanani perhaps better illustrates what the church is like today. He received the same exact news that Nehemiah received. He even saw the desolation with his very own eyes, but Hanani never sat down. Hanani never became married to the problem. He never became joined to the problem personally. Church family, the broken walls and burned gates of others' lives, it will never be restored until we get under a burden and become married to their plight. Only a burden can motivate us to sincerely pray and get involved in seeing others' lives restored to God. Nehemiah sat down. Not only did Nehemiah heard these words, not only did Nehemiah sat down, our third characteristic of a caring Christian that's seen in Nehemiah is that he wept. I want to do another word study here because this word wept, in the Hebrew, it's not a shallow tear. It's not, it's not being able to hold in your emotions and just having maybe one or two tears come out. It is the weeping of a broken heart. The word literally means a loud lament or to bewail. This is the kind of godly sorrow in the Bible that indicates genuine true repentance. It's a weeping that results in a change of action that alters the course of life. It means to turn in weeping. But I want us to understand something about this. And just crying, it's not just being sympathetic. I want us to understand something about this weeping. The first thing I want us to understand about this weeping is that there's a difference, friends, between weeping and whining. There is a big difference between weeping and whining. Carnal Christians whine. Caring Christians weep. Remember the sin of the Israelites in Numbers chapter 11, verses 5 and 10? The Bible says, we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. They forgot that they were in bondage and slavery. We used to eat free fish there, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Friends, that that tells me that that God gets tired of hearing his people whine about not having the things of the world. The pleasure of sin, the, the pleasure of Egypt, he gets tired of hearing them whine about not having such things. God had milk and honey in Canaan, but Israel whined about onions and garlic. Friends, how we so fall victim to loving this old sinful world. So many times, we'd rather eat the onions of hell than enjoy the honeycomb of heaven. Let's also understand that 
Not only is is weeping not whining, but that spirit-filled Christians are the ones that weep. It's a characteristic of not only a caring Christian, but a spirit-filled Christian that you you weep. They they weep over godly things. They weep over the things that that are are near and dear to the heart of the Father. Israel, uh, Joel said to Israel, he said, let the priest, let the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Man, that we would have a day that the ministers of God's word would get between the porch and the altar and pray for revival for God's people. John wept in Revelation chapter 5. Remember, it was because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. We need to go to this world and proclaim to them that the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. We know that Jesus wept. But it's not even just in that famous verse in the story of Lazarus, uh, but, but Luke 19.41 as well. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Can I just ask us, to, let's be honest. When's the last time we wept over the city of Callahan? When's, when's the last time we wept over the sins of our city? We are indifferent We are cold, calloused. Our tears will water the seeds of revival in the town of Callahan. Are you whining after what the world offers or are you weeping over this world's condition? That's the third characteristic of a caring Christian is one that wept. We see that modeled in Nehemiah. The fourth characteristic of a caring Christian, I'm going through these first five pretty quickly because the sixth one's the big one. The fourth Characteristic of a caring Christian modeled by Nehemiah is that Nehemiah also mourned. The word mourned here is a little bit different than the word weep. It means to grieve, as in grieving over the dead. The Jews in Jerusalem, remember, were filled with great affliction and great reproach. The wall was broken down. The gates were burned with fire. Nehemiah mourned as if his loved ones had died. His mourning actually went on for days. In fact, in the first verse, it says, from the month of Keslev, which would be our November to December, until Nisan, which would be our March to April. You see that in chapter 2, verse 1. That means, by the way, friends, that from four to six months, Nehemiah mourned over his brethren. It was something in his life that he just could not get over. Church family, you want to know how you have a God-sent burden? Two things. It'll never violate the word of God, and it will never go away. That's how you know it's a God-sent burden. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So not only did Nehemiah hear these words, not only did he sit down, he was married to the problem, not only did he weep tears over the state of his brethren, not only did he mourn, but the fifth characteristic of a caring Christian, before we get to the big one, is that Nehemiah fasted. And that word fasted in the Hebrew, it, it actually means to cover the mouth. Uh, It is to deprive the body 
of food for a season with the purpose of devoting yourself entirely to the purpose of God. Sitting, weeping, and mourning, they're all outwardly manifested, but fasting is inwardly manifested. Nehemiah was fully identified with the affliction of his brethren externally as well as internally. Jesus considered and confirmed fasting as an acceptable sacrifice, acceptable to God, and even instructed us on how we are to fast. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 17 and 18, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Nehemiah's fast meets this criteria, because Nehemiah fasted, as it says in our text in verse 4, before the God of heaven. God saw what Nehemiah did secretly and God rewarded Nehemiah openly. Guys, this, this was not emotionalism. This was not just a show where Nehemiah could, could cry because he wanted others to see how emotional he was. This wasn't just a show of tears or a show of wailing. Even in private, when no one else was around, when no one else would hear, when no one else would see, Nehemiah fasted before God. That's what it looks like to have a burden for God's people to be revived. <laughs> Friends, once again, this is how revival begins when God's people forget about show and they get real with God in secret. We ought to fast more today. We ought, we ought to focus on depriving sometimes the body of food in a time of prayer so we could have clarity and complete devotion to Christ. Fasting, it's a tool, it's, it's a discipline of God to move us forward when nothing else will. So... Just an application question, typical. What, when it was the last time you were so burdened that you felt compelled of God to fast? Have you ever? So we've seen five really easy, clear from the scriptures characteristic of what it looks like for a Christian to care. Not only about his church family, but the lost souls of the world. But now we've got to get to the sixth one, and it's a biggie. In fact, I'll never forget one of my favorite classes in, in seminary was contemporary issues of the church. What are the issues facing the church? And I, I remember I loved my professor because the first thing he said, and he actually spent a quarter of the semester on this, he said the biggest issue with the church today is prayerlessness. We don't pray. And we don't know how to pray. <laughs> And so I, I loved it. I think that the, the next class, what we did is we had 15 seminary students. We had an hour and we sat down and we prayed for an hour. And it was maybe mo one of the most moving, beautiful times I've ever had in seminary. Hearing brothers and sisters crying and weeping over the lost souls in our church and the lost souls of our nation and the nation. Friends, when's, when's the last time we, we prayed together? We prayed for an hour and we, we didn't see it as something we just got a time. <laughs> we didn't just see it as filler, but we had enough to pray about because we're so in tune with the Lord and his desires and we're so in tune with our community and our spiritual needs that we could have gone on for hours and hours and hours praying to the Lord. Friends, we, we don't pray. And yet, that's the sixth characteristic of a caring Christian, is that Nehemiah prayed. And in his prayer, it's absolutely beautiful. 
This, to me, is the biggest characteristic of a caring Christian. That word pray, by the, way, by the way, it means to intercede, to step in, to come in between God and man concerning a particular situation. And notice how we know that Nehemiah was interceding because he prayed again in verse 4 before the God of heaven. Nehemiah became the one in the gap between God and his people Israel. And that, that ought to remind us of someone, right? That ought to picture someone and be a shadow of someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Nehemiah stood as an intercessor, confessing sin of the people, asking for forgiveness for the people, pleading for mercy and restoration on behalf of the people. Nehemiah was bringing Christian, uh, was, was a caring Christian because he cared enough to pray. Hearing, sitting down, weeping, mourning, and fasting, they would have been useless had Nehemiah not prayed. And I believe this is the discipline that we Christians perhaps fail in the most. One commentator noted that there are three kinds of people. There are self-sufficient people. And these are ones who do not pray. They they merely talk to themselves. Self-sufficient people do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. Self-satisfied people will not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. Or self-righteous people cannot pray because they have no basis to approach God. Are you self-sufficient, self-satisfied, or self-righteous? I can tell which one you are by your prayer life. I can tell which one I struggle with by my prayer life. But Nehemiah was none of these. He was a man who realized he was 100% depended upon the Lord God of heaven. And because of this, I believe Nehemiah gives us a tremendous model for our own prayers to God. And I see four things here to be a part of your prayer life every time you pray. Maybe you've heard this before, but we find it in the acronym ACTS. It's an acrostic, really, to help you remember how to pray. Their adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at these four things very quickly. Let's look at the first model of our prayer, adoration. Begin your prayers with adoration. That's what Nehemiah does. Adoration. Look what he says in verse 5. He said, I, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. True prayer begins with adoration of God. True prayer gives God the glory that is due his name. Adoration is holy awe that recognizes that Jesus is infinitely above us. Adoration recognizes God as sovereign Lord over us. To adore God is to worship and praise him as Lord of all. And Nehemiah adored God for three reasons, all found in verse 5. Quickly, first, he adored him because he's the Lord God of heaven. When Nehemiah prayed, O Lord God of heaven, he was worshiping and praising God for being Lord over all. Nehemiah recognized God's rightful place as Lord on the throne of the universe. So therefore, Nehemiah appropriately assumed his position in humility and submission before the one on the throne. Nehemiah adored him because he is the Lord God of heaven. Secondly, he adored him because he is the great and awesome God. 
He adored him because he's the great and awesome God. That word great, it means to be highly exalted, to be lifted up overall. And in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah was about to walk through some great affliction. It was going to be a great work. Nehemiah would therefore need a great power. This work would require great goodness and great mercy. And the only place to find all of those things is in the arms of the great and awesome God. You can't help but adore God when you see how great thou art. The word awesome here, by the way, it means to to make full of dread, to fear, to frighten, to revere. By the way, fear of God and holy living, those two things, fear of God and holy living, they're synonymous in the Bible. Right living grows out of response for who God is. The Bible says in Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God will make you wise and clean up your living. The word of God produces within our hearts the fear and respect for God that leads to wisdom in this life. So Nehemiah adored God for being the great and awesome God. But his final reason of adoration was because he was a covenant-keeping God. He says, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. He is a covenant-keeping God. We know that the saved, those who belong to Christ through faith in Christ, we know that they are in a covenant relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. We talk about this all the time through our study in John. Because they are in a covenant relationship with God, therefore they will and must produce fruit. The tangible evidence that we are benefactors of the new covenant are right here. Loving him and keeping his commandments. In prayer, Nehemiah praised and adored God as a covenant-keeping God. Those who love God, those who obey God, they are genuine children, covenant children of God. When they pray, their hearts submit to God in worship and adoration because of his greatness. Let's move on now to confession. When you adore the Lord, his holiness is going to manifest your sinfulness very quickly. That's what I love about this Acts thing. As soon as you're acknowledging who Christ is, who the Lord is, you can't help but realize how unworthy you are even to speak to him. Your sinfulness, your state just comes up in your mind over and over again. And this is what happened in Nehemiah. It's what Nehemiah did. And so when God brings sin to our heart and mind, he expects us, expects us to confess it and repent of it. Nehemiah reveals to us in his prayer exactly how to confess sin, something he gives us. What does that confession of sin look like? Well, look at this. Nehemiah confesses sin firstly through identification with sin. Nehemiah identified himself as a sinner. Not only that, but he identified the nation, the people as sinners. Look at what it says in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. 
Israel, by the way, we know the sin of Israel. Hundreds of years before Nehemiah was even born, their sin was practicing idolatry and forsaking the Sabbath year. And that sin had never been confessed and never been repented of. And as a result, the nation was still unforgiven of that sin 160 years later. This is interesting because the men who actually committed these sins against God, they're all dead. (laughs) But their sins still remain and the consequences of their sin remained. And before God could restore his people, their sin had to be dealt with. Though Nehemiah was not the one who committed the sin, as an intercessor, he identified with that sin on behalf of his nation and confessed it to God. Church family, often revival and renewal comes when one man, one man or one woman gets under a burden from God and begins to intercede. That's what happens. So not only did Nehemiah identify with the nation's sins, but notice this, Nehemiah also got specific with God about sin. He got specific, direct with God about exactly how they had sinned. We don't do this very often. We like to use that blanket statement, Lord, just forgive us of our many sins. I'm good, I'm covered. That's not what Nehemiah does. Look at verse seven. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. We've acted corruptly. This phrase means that we have broken or it means to destroy a pledge, to pervert the word with our lives. All sin is perversion. It's rebellion to the word of God and and the God of the word. Nehemiah didn't try to avoid the issue. He called the sin out by name. And, And church family, until you call your sin by name and agree with God about it, you're not ready to repent or to be forgiven. Thirdly, Nehemiah acknowledged that present judgment came from past sin. Nehemiah acknowledged that present judgment, his situation that he's in right now, it happened because of sins in the past, because sin has consequences, friends. He recognized, acknowledged that present judgment came from past sin. Verse 8, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. That's what happened. Nehemiah was calling God just for keeping his words. He was saying, we sinned, we deserved what we got. We got exactly what you said we would get if we did this. Repentant people see a direct relationship between their sin and God's judgment. They don't blame God. They hold themselves accountable to God and responsible to God. Fourthly, finally, Nehemiah realized that God forgives. This is an important one. You can get pretty upset and depressed if you stick in the first three. But Nehemiah realized that God is a forgiving and gracious and merciful God to his sinful people. Look at verse nine. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you have been scattered in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. Nehemiah realized that God forgives. Did you catch that in the verse? He says, I'm gonna gonna gather them. It means still, now, I I will, now, at this late hour, though you all have wasted many precious years, I'll still forgive and restore you. 
We see this from the Lord all over the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skin, sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as, so, as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. In 1 John 1, 9, a text we love, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Real prayer will always inter- intercede and include sincere and specific confession of sin and turning away from that sin in commitment to God. Let's move to the T. Let's move on to thanksgiving. We have adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. This two are very quick. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hands. Here we see Nehemiah acknowledging the goodness and grace of God in choosing Israel to be his people and and specifically never forsaking them. It's, It's clear to see Nehemiah's grateful and thankful heart as he remembers God's goodness. Friends, thanksgiving should be a part of all of our prayers. We have much to thank the Lord for, right? And notice what Nehemiah thanked God for. Nehemiah thanked God for redemption. He thanked the Lord for redemption. He began by just thanking God for salvation. And and when we say we have much to be thankful for, a good place to start is to thank God for saving our souls, isn't it? He saved us. He's redeemed us. We ought to not have a day go by where we don't thank him for that tremendous act. Not only that, but Nehemiah thanked God for his use of us. He thanked God for deciding to use his people. He says, your servant and your people. Nehemiah thanked God for still including him and Israel in his ministry in this world. He thanked God for choosing Israel to be the old covenant people of God, to be his chosen servant. Salvation always produces a desire for service. Those who are saved want God to use them for his purposes and plans. What a thought. That God would not only save us, but that God would let us participate in his great redemption plan in this world. That's worth thanking him for. He also thanks him for his power. He thanks him for his power. He says, by your great power and your strong hand. Here, Nehemiah thanks God for his almighty power that overcomes all the circumstances in this world below. Friends, we will never face a situation that God does not have the power to overcome. Ever. Never pray without spending a significant amount of time thanking God. Finally, let's look at supplication. We'll close with this. We've got adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. An easy fourfold model that is a a tremendous opportunity for you to grow in your prayer life. Because we want to be caring Christians. We don't want to fall into the sin of Hanani and let the news just fall right off us. We want to care deeply about each other and about the lost souls in our city and county. And therefore, we must be a people of prayer. So supplication. Verse 11 says this. Because of all that, he says, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name, and make your servant successful today, and grant him compassion before this man. Notice this. Notice only after Nehemiah's adoration, his confession, his thanksgiving, does Nehemiah then offer up his supplication to God. What is a supplication? It's a big word for a request. 
what, what we want to ask God for. This is, this is primarily where we, as God's people, pray, right? Because what do we lead with when we talk about prayer? Do we have any prayer request? That's just one part of it, right? We ought to say, do we have any reason to adore God? Do, do we have any sin that needs confession? Do we have anything to thank God for? And you know what's really sad about our prayer lives, at least most of the time in public, is that if you ask those questions, you'll get a lot of crickets. When you ask, what's your prayer request? You get quite a bit of answers. We, we've got this backwards. <laughs> Friends, remind yourselves that God owes you nothing. He, he owes you nothing. And yet he longs for you to request what you need of him from him. He longs for that. It's a good thing to make prayer requests. But friends, we're missing part of our mindset about prayer. And because we fail to adore him, confess our sin, thank him, and only focus on the supplication, we have dull and weak prayer lives. Friends, he's worthy of, of so much more. Nehemiah was about to go before King Artaxerxes, remember? And he was about to make a life-changing request. You didn't go before kings and ask things in this day. He, he needed God's assistance. Remember, Nehemiah was a servant in the king's palace. He was the cupbearer. He literally belonged to the king, physically speaking. In order to be allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and gates, Nehemiah would need three things. The king's permission, the king's provision, and the king's protection. And, and notice this, only Nehemiah, once, only once Nehemiah adored the Lord, confessed his sin to the Lord, and gave thanks to the Lord, then and only then did he know exactly what to pray for. Church, there is nothing wrong, as I said, with presenting your supplication before the Lord. But before you adore, confess, and thank him, you don't even really know what to ask for. Spending time first in adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, it helps prepare the heart to petition God with our request. And, and notice what it was that Nehemiah prayed for. He prayed that God would make your servant successful and grant him compassion. Nehemiah was asking God for success in his task of going before the king, that Nehemiah might have what was needed for the task to which God had called him. Nehemiah prayed for what he needed in the task of serving God. This is what an unselfish prayer of a submissive servant, of a caring Christian looks like. Nehemiah figured that if he had what he needed to do, what God had called him to do, everything else would have been taken care of. Your prayer reveals where your heart is, friends. Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What if Nehemiah had prayed for a new ch a chariot, a new home, gold or riches? All of those things would have long since been corrupted by moths and thieves. No. What he sought to pray for and live for was the will of God. And thousands of years later, it still counts. No moths, no rust, no thieves can steal that prayer away.
Friends, where are you laying your treasures? What are you praying for? Church family, this is what a caring Christian does. Oh, how we're in desperate need of God's mercy and grace to speak to us through his word, to do that work of convicting the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment in us first and foremost. Let's pray for God to help us as we pursue this great need in our communities today. Oh, Father, we adore you. We adore you as the king of the universe, as the great and awesome God, as the God who keeps his covenant with his people. Father, you are truly magnificent. You are glorious and mighty, compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving of the sins of your people. Lord, we could spend hours in this room thinking of who you are, dwelling on, Father, how we adore you. You are greatly to be praised. We thank you for your character, your nature, who you are, and what you've done. Father, we confess that we are often guilty of the sin of not caring. We are often guilty of the sin of of longing for too much of the things of this world and not actively embracing and caring the things that you, God, in, in your sovereignty and goodness have brought before us, have burdened our hearts with. Father, forgive us from ever saying when being brought with a need, I don't care. We confess that. We ask for your forgiveness and our sinfulness and our lack of characteristics of being a caring Christian. Father, we're thankful that even in the midst of our sinfulness, that you are merciful and kind to your people, that you are forgiving God, that you use even our sin to mold us into the image of Christ, that you use our weakness to show us your strength. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And Father, it's because of this that we ask for your help. We request, Father, that you would work this word into us. Father, we would see where we're lacking And you would give us the grace to be a caring church that cares for one another and cares for the lost and dying world. We ask this all in the name of Jesus.